This is Daniel Hagedorn from Preparing Kids for Life at PK4L.com. And our podcast is for all things parenting. This is day 88 of our 365-day journey with you. You know, my wife and I are so passionate about helping parents reclaim their rightful place as the number one expert on their own kids. So our podcast focuses on time-tested principles any parent can learn and apply to give our children a childhood they won't have to recover from, to prepare them for life as the best version of themselves. So we talk about every parent's most basic fears because they were our fears too. Things like, I don't have what it takes to be a good parent. Things like, I'm not qualified or I'm going to mess my kids up. You know, as parents, we will do anything to help our kids. And since our ceiling is our children's floor, we owe it to them to always be learning and growing. For 365 days, you have been invited into our experiment, and we're committed to walking alongside your journey as your personal outfitters, guides, and allies every day, every step of the way. So we continue our conversation in Anthony Esselin's book, um, 10 Ways to Destroy the Imagination of Your Child. Uh, We'll be focusing on method number three, keep children away from machines and machinists. Now, just by way of quick review, Esalen has written an absolutely brilliant and insightful book. And of course, he's using this this title as a a very much tongue-in-cheek way to highlight, hey, look, if we are doing these things and the school system does, it's exactly what it's designed to do, destroy the imagination. And it's kind of it's kind of an interesting way to go about it. It's sort of like a reverse approach. So it's another way of saying, look, if you're doing these things, you are destroying children's imagination. And of course, this isn't simply hyperbole. It isn't simply Esalen's opinion. I've referenced Dr. George Land's work on this subject a number of times over several podcasts, just talking about uh, as a science, as a, not a scientist, but a researcher for NASA, and the test he devised to identify creative genius. And of course, lo and behold, he found out over doing this test hundreds of times that the school system is actually what takes creativity away from our children. It's, it's killing our children's imagination. And so what I think is so brilliant about Esalen is he he sort of goes into a great deal of detail describing how. And so this this method, method number three, keep children away from machines and machinists, kind of highlights something that's very interesting, and that's that we're starting to see you can actually have a highly lucrative career in the trades. And for the longest time, the trades were treated as though, well, yeah, if you're too stupid to actually do something meaningful with your life, sure, go ahead, become an electrician, go ahead, become a plumber, go be a mechanic, whatever. And not only is that incredibly condescending, it's not accurate. In fact, um, I don't know for any of you out there listening to this podcast who own a car, who own a home, uh, you know you know exactly the kind of living that electricians and plumbers and mechanics are making because you pay their salaries. Those people are doing well. And why shouldn't they? They have an important skill that's every bit as important as some person who's using a a different part of their brain to do a different job. You know, you need a creative, skillful mind to be a plumber, to be a mechanic, to be an electrician. 
you're just using your mind in a different way. But we've we've so we've been so condescending to this for so long that we've made it seem like, well, if you have to settle for a job like that, sure. You know you can make a good living starting at $65,000 as a Rolex mechanic working on Rolex watches. Yeah, and they'll even give you the kit for it, which is a quite an expensive thing, but it's a an apprentice, it's an extended program, it's an apprentice program. And by the way, that's how people used to learn things. And can you think of a better way of learning something than through apprenticing? You know, you you give up your time, you're you're working for little or no money, but in return, you are getting time-tested, proven wisdom that will produce results. You know, I always ask this question to people that kind of argue with me about this. Okay, you have $100 million that you need to invest and manage. And so you are in the process of hiring someone to do just that. You finally narrow this down to two options. Candidate number one graduated top of their class at Harvard and went on to graduate top of their class at the Wharton School of Business. Candidate number two never even went to college, but they have spent the last eight years getting personally mentored in investment by Warren Buffett, who by the way, the latest total is he's worth somewhere upwards of $60 billion and widely considered the greatest investor alive today. Now, you have $100 million to manage. Who do you want managing your stack? Somebody with the really impressive credentials that they have posted on their wall or somebody who got personally mentored by someone who has a proven track record of unbelievable success? Yeah, I'm taking option two also. But see, that that's the thing is that we, we get so caught up in... in the, the hype of the college degree, which is honestly worth less and less these days. And by the way, I'm not anti-college. I'm just very much pro. You better think about it and be sure that going to college and getting a degree is exactly what you need to do in order to pursue where your passion and your skill set merge. That's all I'm saying. Now, so in this, Isla makes a great point and he says, he's talking about this and he, he's talking about Again, remember this is, he's writing from the reverse. He says, none of this, of course, will do. First of all, it's not safe. A child might be buzzed by a 20 volt battery. He's talking about the idea of a, of a child um, using, um, just learning, learning how to, to do some electrical work. He says, he might have to call a hobby shop to purchase a condenser. He might have to poke himself in the eye with the arrow of the weather vane he's making. He might fall off the garage roof where he's trying to place the weather vane. He might hammer his thumb while he's trying to nail up the scaffold for the pulley for the well he's digging. He might very well fall into the well. Worse still, it encourages the wholly undesirable virtue of self-reliance, which by the way, is the number one thing the system tries to kill. It's constantly reminding you, look, you lack the expertise to see whether or not this is good work. Now, to be fair, there's a, there's a measure of truth in that. 
I mean, clearly, uh, somebody needs to be a little bit further down the road and be able to look at someone's work and, and assess it, evaluate it. But ultimately, what we need to be training our children to do is not to rely on some sort of self-appointed, air quotes, expert, right? What we really are trying to train them to do is to become their own expert on their own lives so that they are able to self-diagnose, they are able to self-assess, they are able to self-correct, and ultimately, they are able to self-educate. That is the point and purpose of this all, not to just sort of wait around for some expert to validate or invalidate something that they do or think. That's not the point at all. He goes on to say, remember that while we do want to raise children who are alienated from deep affection for their nation, their town, their heritage, their neighbors, and even their families, that doesn't mean we want them to know how to do things for themselves. Just as we want them to be herded up with others of their kind, yet essentially alone, so we want them to consider themselves already competent at doing anything important, yet unable to change a doorknob. So in other words, school is used to give this false sense of artificial validation. Yes, you know how to do something that matters. But as simple as changing a light switch, not the electrical necessarily, that does require some expertise. But I'm saying like a, a switch plate or change a tire or change your oil. Just do basic functional things. Basic functional things. We're not saying everybody needs to go out and be a, an aeronautical engineer. Just simply, people used to do that. What would happen is a person could do almost all of their own basic repairs. And then if something were serious, you know, if back in the old days, the axle broke on your, on your wagon. Yeah, you would probably take that to the to somebody to have that repaired and, and worked on and fixed. Okay. But you know, if other basic repairs, you were doing them yourselves because people were essentially self-sufficient and self-reliant. But see, if you aren't reliant on someone else, you can't be used in a way that suits the other party. What do I mean by that? In other words, as long as you are relying on me for something, I have some degree of power over your life. And the more that you rely on me, the more power I have over your life. That's why self-reliant people and self-reliance, like Eastland is talking about here, that's why that is discouraged by the system. So if you're trying to destroy the imagination of your child, you definitely want to make sure they aren't self-reliant and they don't learn how to be self-reliant. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, if you even think about science class in, in school, right? It's not generally about the business of stirring the imagination. Instead, it's about persuading the child to believe the right things about science. And that's most of what that's the subjects are, right? You need to believe the right things. What are the right things? Well, whatever the teacher says is the right thing is the right thing. Whatever the textbook says is the right thing is the right thing. You know what? That's a place to start. That's one person's opinion. That's one textbook's opinion. You know, I'll just give you one example of how messed up that can be. When I was teaching, I had textbook companies send me their stuff all the time. Obviously, they want me to look at their material, fall in love with it, and then recommend to my administrator, hey, we need to buy this uh, for my class next year. So I got one textbook. It was a U.S. history textbook. 
it had a three-page spread on Pocahontas. Now, I think it's important to know about Pocahontas. She's an important part of American history. We should know about her. We should know about her contribution. But she got this three-page spread. George Washington, on the other hand, a founding father, first president of the United States, commander of the Continental Army that rode to victory against the British and won independence for our American nation. Someone who was called by King George III said, if, if George Washington steps down as president, he will become the greatest man in history because George Washington did something that no other people did in history and that was willingly step down from power. Power was given up when you handed it, well actually when it was pried from your cold dead fingers. That's how people won. Not someone willingly and voluntarily standing down. And we have continued that precedent ever since. So this is George Washington. George Washington got a paragraph in this book. Now, there's something profoundly wrong and there's something profoundly distorted about teaching kids that kind of history. But that's exactly what it is. It's not teaching them to use their imagination and ask questions and engage. What it's teaching them to do is to think the right things about what we told you is the right answer. And if you can successfully regurgitate that, we'll reward you with good grades and good GPAs and a good class rank and you'll get into a good college and go to the right college and get a right job. And once you get the right job, you'll have 2.4 kids and have the white picket fence. And that's the dream that we sell kids. More importantly, the parents of kids. And it's a dream that is not realistic at all. And one of the things is that um, we need to get to the, the point where we're teaching children to be fascinated by things. You know, children automatically are. It's, it's, it's one of the great ironies that Eastland points out in this is that children love kind of engaging in things and doing things experiencing things. And that's exactly what we stop them from doing so often, is from having that experience. You know what, why don't you just read this book on fishing? Don't actually go fishing, don't actually get out there on the water and, and catch something. No, just read this book that will give you all of the parameters of the fishing and the proper depth and the line you should use. And it's like, again, like in a previous uh, chapter when he just talks about burying them in the facts, right? Again, part of this isn't so much about them using machines or not. Not everybody's mechanically inclined, you know, so it's not about turning every kid into an engineer either. What it is about though, it's about allowing them to have their own experiences, to engage in these things. Because ultimately that's what we want. We want them to be a well-rounded young man or young woman. That is our goal for them. You know, one of the things that, um, is this is from the New Wonder World Encyclopedia, and this was um, this was talking about Christopher Columbus, and you know I know there's now in our our modern times we we've gotten very divided about Christopher Columbus and and all that, but you know this is not the time or place for that discussion. I just want to simply point out that he says my father wanted me to be a weaver, but it was of no use. I was born for the sea and was like a fish out of water until 14 when I shipped out for my first voyage. Now, first of all, there's a couple things that are interesting in there. 14. You know, that was actually pretty common back then. 
One of the things we've done, sadly, to the great detriment of children is to infantilize them as though they aren't capable of amazing things. History is full of amazing teenagers who've done incredible, amazing things. And it used to be pretty commonplace. Now, if a teenager does something like what was being done 120 years ago, they're on Ellen or Oprah. Now, I'm not saying that to diminish the young men and women who are, are featured on those things. Good for them. They should be. They're, they're doing great things. What I'm simply saying is that they are now the exception where they used to be the rule. Things have changed and not for the better in that way. We underestimate teenagers at every turn. We're constantly looking for ways to take them out of their potential. And that really needs to stop. It's one of the things that Eastland kind of highlights in this chapter. And one of the ways that that, that happens is by this constant hovering of, of like the helicopter parent, or like I talked about in an earlier podcast, the lawnmower parent, where it's all about removing any potential foreseeable obstacle so that the child will have smooth sailing. You know, it's kind of like a, the, there's a story about a boy who found a, a caterpillar. And so he brought the caterpillar home and he poked holes in a, in a, in a jar and it was watching it develop. And the caterpillar eventually he put a little twig in there and the caterpillar spun a cocoon and, and he waited. He's like, wow, what is this? When he took it to a, a, his neighbor who uh, was sort of wise about these sort of things and his neighbor said, oh, well, you have a, a butterfly. You just, you just sit and, and wait for it to, to come out. And so the boy did and, and the day arrived and the, 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 the cocoon was starting to part and move and, and it was really clear that the, the, the butterfly was really having a hard time to getting out of this cocoon. It was, it was just, it just seemed so cruel and finally the boy couldn't stand it. He, he ran into the other room and grabbed his scissors and, and cut a, a tiny hole in the top of the cocoon so that the, the butterfly could finally emerge. And, and so the, the butterfly flopped out and its wings were all moist and, and folded in awkwardly. And that's exactly how they stayed. That's exactly how they stayed until the day that butterfly died. You see, the butterfly needed part of the, the reason why it struggles against that is because the struggle squeezes the moisture from its wings. Part of the struggle is that's how it survives. That's how it thrives. The struggle is what creates that for the butterfly. And what we're doing is we are constantly in a mode where we are snipping the top of the cocoon and we're allowing the child to just flop out all in the name of protecting them from harm. Now, I'm not saying that we should say, hey, Johnny, yeah, why don't you go uh, juggle with those chainsaws? I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about letting our children do things that are ridiculous. What I am talking about is maybe backing off a little bit and not worrying if they skin their knee, not worrying about if they get a little bruise, not worrying about if they ding their hand with a hammer or something, trying to nail a nail, you know? We're not helping them. We're hindering them. We're, we're leaving them like the, that butterfly absolutely crippled for the purpose for which they were made. And that is something that we need to stop. And that's one of the great things about this chapter. Again, I can't say enough about this book. I'm highlighting only just the, the tiniest bit just because I think it's, it's so good. But I really encourage you to read it. 
Um, and no, I'm not his literary agent. I just think it's a fantastic book and it speaks very uh, presciently into our, our current times. But I just want to thank you so much for listening. I know there are literally hundreds and thousands of podcasts out there. You chose to give us your precious time. We're so grateful for that. Definitely check out our website, pk4l.com, for more resources. And please click on the link in the show description to download your free ebook, Building an Emotionally Safe Home, as our gift to you. Remember, we are with you every day, every step of the way. Until tomorrow, have a great day.